You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. This is Abraham. And this is Shane. So this is Why We Do What We Do. Your favorite consumable psychology podcast. (laughs) I like the sort of announcer effect you put on at that time. And the next time I'll do the monster truck one. Podcast, cast, cast, cast. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. (laughs) I bet we could actually put some kind of big echoey effect that makes it sound like you're an announcer in a stadium that wouldn't be. Like that's just probably a filter we can apply to the audio. That'll be be on the episode when we talk about why people like motorsports. (laughs) Coming soon. (laughs) I'd like to just preface this one by saying that this is something I've heard multiple times from multiple sources. I did link one of them more recently in the show notes for this one. But what we're talking about is that you will often hear people discuss in sickening, I guess, disgust. (laughs) They'll talk about these things with this like, what's the word I'm looking for here? This this, disdain. Yeah, this disdain is just dripping from their words about those evil people out there using behavior modification to get people to do X, Y, and Z, whatever it is they're trying to get people to do, right? So I recently heard this podcast episode in which people were really lambasting the social media companies for using behavior modification to get people to use their websites in what they call a quote-unquote addictive manner. Hmm. And so I thought it'd be a really interesting discussion to dive into behavior modification and specifically ask the questions, who still uses this? What are the implications for those who use it? That is, how should we think of them or treat them and what should we do to them or about them? And importantly, what is behavior modification? That's kind of all the setup that I feel like we need. But what are your thoughts on this before we get going? I hear people reference behavior modification, and I think that they have a fairly old timey sense of what it looks like or what it is. Or maybe they have just such a very little understanding of it that they can't really describe what is going on. And I think what ends up happening is that there are concepts that are at play just in our general lives that actually have to do with the species. We're talking about reinforcement, punishment, and all that. When we talk about those things, they are constantly around us. And people don't realize that our behavior is consistently and constantly being modified as a result of our environment. So I love when people talk about this use of behavior modification because I just don't know that they really understand what it is. Right. And that will be a lot of what we talk about. So what's important then is actually to start with the definition, even though I listed that last. And it's important to clarify this definition because it has really important implications for identifying who still uses behavior modification and what that looks like, right? And it is also important to note that no part of the definition includes a requirement that the user call their technique behavior modification. It's just what that is, not that they say I'm doing behavior modification, because one thing we'll see is nobody says that they're doing that. Right. I can't imagine that somebody who's trying to manipulate somebody else would say like, I'm doing behavior modification. Not that that's what even it is, but it's just important to like, nobody outright says I'm doing behavior modification. Shane, I'm behavior modifying you right now. And I'm behavior modifying you right back. (laughs) So, (laughs) So A traditional definition and one that we kind of want to use for the purposes of unpacking this term is that behavior modification is the alteration of behavioral patterns through the use of such learning techniques as biofeedback and positive or negative reinforcement. We need to really unpack those specific terms inside of that to make sure that we're all on the same page. So, for example, what do we mean by 
altering behavioral patterns, right? Generally speaking, this actually just refers simply to a change in frequency such that a behavior increases or decreases in how often it occurs. This definition only states positive and negative reinforcement, so it's not referring to decreasing behavior. In addition to changing the frequency, altering behavior can also mean that the form of the behavior changes so that it looks a little bit different. Right. So let's go ahead and dig into those other pieces of this as well. Yep. So when they reference biofeedback, what we want to make sure you understand here is that it's the use of some technology to monitor an otherwise automatic function of your body and through doing so learn to gain some amount of control over that process so for example if you wear some kind of fitness device like a fitbit or other device that allows you to monitor your heart rate you can learn techniques to lower or increase your heart rate through focus and intentional arousal or relaxation techniques and use the monitor to guide your attempts until you can do it fairly easily Right. And we'll be doing an entire episode down the road on positive and negative reinforcement, specifically with respect to teachers and in school settings, as was requested by one of our listeners. But for now, we'll just sort of summarize what that means, because that's the next part of this. So first, reinforcement is any outcome that follows a behavior that makes it more likely that that behavior will occur again in that same context in the future. Okay, And so positive reinforcement is something provided after the behavior. I'm going to make sure I say that clearly, is when something is provided or added after the behavior and makes it more likely that that will occur again, like a reward. So in animal studies, as an analog to this, a bird that learns to peck a certain key does so because when they peck that key, it results in them earning food. Or in humans, you can think of when someone pays you for doing something for them, like a job, then you're more likely to do that for them again so that you get paid again next time. Yeah. And so we as human beings come into contact with positive reinforcers all the time. Anytime you receive social praise, anytime you get something and you continue to engage in a behavior, think about this. Why do you continue to answer the phone? There's some kind of positive reinforcement there. You're getting something out of it. So we naturally come into contact with positive reinforcement. The same is true for negative reinforcement. And so let's talk about that for a second. And people have a hard time on this one. People tend to mislabel negative reinforcement and say, oh, you're giving them attention for having poor behavior. You're negatively reinforcing them. I'm going to tell you right now, Right. both of us will tell you right now, that's, that's, that's grossly inaccurate. <laughs> True. When we talk about negative reinforcement, what it is is something is taken away or removed following a behavior, and that increases the likelihood of a behavior occurring again. A word that I usually use to describe negative reinforcement would be something like relief. Relief. Yep, yep, that's the one. For example, when you scratch an itch and the itch goes away, you're more likely to scratch at that itch again when it comes up. Or... When a spouse does his dishes and avoids criticism or arguments from their partner, they might be more likely to do the dishes in the future to avoid an argument. And the same thing, going back to the example of like a boss, where if you see that when they have some look on their face that tells you they're in a bad mood, you might specifically avoid them so that you don't have some aversive interaction with that person. And if you're able to successfully avoid them, then next time they have that look on their face, you're going to avoid them again. And doing so allows you to avoid the outcome of having an unpleasant exchange with your boss. And that would be negative reinforcement in terms of you running away and hiding when you see that look on their face, right? Yeah. Or for those of you who live in Florida or in a rainy state, you carry around an umbrella because the minute you get rained on, you open that umbrella so that you can avoid or escape contacting rain. You don't like to be wet. So that's negative reinforcement. You're relieved of being rained on. Yep. That's a good way of summarizing what negative reinforcement is. So let's then come back to that definition, but with those new terms. So I'm going to revisit the definition first, Shane, and then I'll let you read it with the terms that we have replaced in that definition. So initially it was 
the alteration of behavioral patterns through the use of such learning techniques as biofeedback and positive or negative reinforcement. So what would it be now? Using the terms we just kind of unpacked, we would say increasing the frequency of certain behaviors through learning techniques such as monitoring devices that teach voluntary control, reward or removing unpleasant events to increase behavior. So it encompasses all of those things we just talked about. Yep. Now, there are definitions of behavior modification that I found that do include strategies to decrease behavior as well. So we will continue to include that in our discussion. But essentially, that's all it comes down to in this overarching discussion is that you have behavior that is changed in how often it occurs or is altered in the form that it takes by having we might call them actually feedback devices that will either increase or decrease the likelihood of that behavior occurring again. If it's positive or negative reinforcement, that behavior is going to increase. If it's any kind of punishment, the behavior is going to decrease in frequency. And that's really important though, as far as behavioral changes go. When you're talking about behavior changing at all, it's a result of something that's happening in the environment. Right. Let's then discuss who are the players? Who are the people here who are using that behavior modification out in the world? With the description that we have now of what behavior modification is, can we point to social media companies and state that they're using behavior modification? So let's just dig into that. First, Shane, do social media companies attempt to alter, either increase or decrease the frequency of behavior? Yes. Yes, they do. They are designed their platform for user engagement. They want to see more engagement on their platforms. Yeah. And to think about it, is there a website that doesn't try and have a user-friendly engaging platform? Probably. Maybe GeoCities or CJB.net. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you're talking about when you're talking about websites, they're usually for a business, right? And so part of the business is to drive behaviors to contact that business, contact that product, contact whatever service they're trying to render, right? So most websites are probably trying to change behavior or improve behavior to get visits to those sites. Okay, so we can check that box. They are trying to change behavior. Now, I'm not on the social medias, but do they use biofeedback? Um, I would have a hard time buying into that. I don't see Facebook monitoring my heart rate and then sending me an advertisement to decrease my blood pressure. Okay, so we don't have that part of it. How about do they reward certain behaviors to increase their frequency? Well, I think that if you're talking about social media, other users will reward specific behaviors, right? They have things like our like buttons or our love buttons or share buttons or anything like that. So there is that piece. Some of the platforms may do that as part of a feedback option, but it's hard to say. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. But it sounds like the platform does provide the opportunity for those engagement systems to exist such that they do reinforce and increase the frequency of those behaviors, right? Yeah, absolutely. We're going to go ahead and check that box as well and say they are setting up specific opportunities to reinforce or increase the frequency of certain behaviors. In this case, we'll just say that those behaviors are engagement with their services. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. There is an opportunity to respond, to comment, to follow people. All of those things can function as an elaborate system of rewards for engaging with the features of whatever media platform you're using here. Finally, and an important one here is that people can definitely make money using the features of social media platforms, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you see businesses run all the time. There are business pages, there's business Instagrams, there's businesses all over the internet. Right. And that whole making money thing is a very common example of a type of reward that increases behavior. So yes, we can say they use positive reinforcement. Now, do social media platforms remove aversives to try and increase behavior? What do you got here? Now, it's hard to say. I think that there are certain 
cultural movements, like social movements that might apply, you know, like you've got some social media platforms that are working to remove hate speech. So that removal of hate speech may increase activist behavior. You might see a little bit of that. Okay. But that I would say is not as commonly addressed. I mean, if you're talking about manipulating or quote unquote manipulating the entire population, I don't know that that checks that box. I wonder if you could make the case that if someone uses social media as an escape, a distraction to just sort of avoid work or to avoid someone they don't want to talk to, if that would be a way in which it is using negative reinforcement. Although I don't know if that's inherent to the platform. That might be idiosyncratic to the person who's using it. And I think if you're talking about behavior modification, I don't know that that would be specific planning. Right. I don't know that Facebook is going, I want to be a distraction for people having a bad time. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I don't know that Instagram is going, I really, really, really want to keep (laughs) Abraham from working. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce this and and relieve them from work. Like, I don't know that that's the case. I mean, I think that that's like a happenstance thing or like it kind of happens at random, but there are elements of that there. I don't know that that's the driving purpose of those platforms. I can imagine a boardroom full of executives who are like, we need to make sure that there is a thread on Instagram of pictures of cats and bulls so that people will avoid doing work while they're at work (laughs) and will only look at all these pictures of cats and bulls and that they started it. (laughs) Maybe that's a board meeting somewhere. (laughs) There's somebody somewhere sitting at a table saying that. (laughs) And the reason that I believe that that's the case statistically is because people have sat around a table and approved Sharknado as a movie. So there are (laughs) people do this all the time. That's a very fair comparison. Okay, so we can at least check some of the boxes with respect to these social media companies enough to say that, yes, they are definitely using some amount of behavior modification. Okay, are we good at that? I can support that, yes. Okay, so who else is also using this behavior modification to change behavior? Okay, let's start with Amazon. Are they doing these things? Are they using positive and negative reinforcement to try and increase, let's just say, sales or engagement with their services? Yeah, I would say that. Let's talk about Amazon Prime and the removal of any sort of shipping fees. Yeah, you've got that. If you choose the no rush shipping, you could get that one kickback of like a dollar toward digital content. Or if you buy over a certain amount, you get free shipping. Or if you buy their Prime, you get free shipping or two day shipping or one day shipping in some cases. You definitely get something in return for engaging with their site. Plus, you have about as many options as you can find anywhere. So that's a pretty open market for purchasing things. It definitely seems like they're probably using some form of positive and negative reinforcement there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And just as we kind of go through these two, just keeping in mind that like they also do marketing yeah, that outlines some of these benefits and it outlines some of this stuff to kind of get people to drive them to their website like we brought up before. Yeah, I think avoiding the delay on Amazon with that today is an example of negative reinforcement potentially. I think providing access to goods and services at a low cost is an example of positive reinforcement for Amazon for engagement with their stuff. So Amazon definitely seems to check these boxes. Google. Yeah. They do very similar things to some of these other platforms. Think about when you go to Google search, they remove a lot of the response effort when you start typing. You don't even have to type a full sentence or a full phrase to be able to search for something. Yeah, and now they're in your email if you're using some 
Google products for email, then it's going to start typing your email for you anymore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you start and then it tries to finish it for you. So yeah, you're right. And that's a negative reinforcement thing, right? That they're taking away work. And so the more you engage with their site, the less work you have to do. And so that's a negative reinforcer, mm -hmm. as well as providing access to the things they're looking for. One thing that we didn't really specify much when we were talking about the positive negative reinforcement distinction is you can often find in almost every case, both are going on simultaneously. The addition of one thing is the removal of the opposite of that thing, which is often an absence, and vice versa. That taking away something unpleasant is also adding something that is relieving or pleasant. Yeah. And so that's going to be a common thread throughout these. All right. So what about Apple? Yeah, let's see. Is Macintosh doing this sort of thing? Well, let's see. You've got your phone. If you uh, use their phone, then you get all of the services available through the use of their phone, as well as access to an exclusive app store that has certain content that's available only in the app store and nowhere else. They've got iTunes all that stuff. If you spend money there or spend time there, then you get rewarded with the thing that you're trying to get access to. If you buy the subscription service for their TV or music, which the music's going away, but all that stuff gives you things that would reward engagement with that platform. So it definitely seems to. And just to throw this out there too, to get people thinking that it's not just these companies that are doing it. Think about the culture around Apple and Macintosh and having those products. Good point. Think about the social stuff that goes along with having AirPods. Oh yeah. And just that culture and i remember when the first ipad came out and i was like yeah yeah that's so cool i want one i can't afford one but the cool kids all that i knew had them right yeah i had the same experience outside of the company there's behavior modification happening as a result of social contingencies right and they might try and engineer some of those contingencies I think that for one thing, having a particular price point means that you are excluding a group of people, which makes your product a little bit elite. And in doing so, makes it so that it does carry with it that social weight. And there might be a lot of reasons for the type of price points that they choose. But I mean, if you imagine when they started subsidizing the iPhone and it was coming out for a few hundred dollars and it became a lot more accessible, and now people are spending upwards of over a thousand dollars to buy a phone that they keep for a year yeah. <laughs> and then replace yep. and they release a new one every year. So a new product every single time. And so that becomes the new elite status is not just that you have one of that brand, but also the newest version of the one of that brand. I think that that is built in and you know, Microsoft is going to do very similar things. They've been pushing their line of Microsoft laptops and tablets for a while now. And I think that those are good products. And th that's an important thing here is we're not actually criticizing any of these companies right now for the strategy that they're using. And we'll get more into that, but, yeah, Microsoft does the exact same thing. They bought up a whole bunch of companies and started pushing their products and services so that you have to use them in order to get access to the services. And so you've got that positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement combination built right into it. The one thing they haven't been able to figure out, though, is how to get people to use Internet Explorer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is true. Think about that for a minute. If these companies were as good at behavior modification as people think they were, everybody would be using Internet Explorer. And somebody would be using Firefox. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So what about news websites? Oh, this is built in all over the place. First of all, you've got a lot of subscription news websites that you can only get access to full articles if you are a paying subscriber. And even the free ones, they're going to try and titillate you with little tidbits of news so that you keep reading to find the nuggets of information that you're looking for. They'll use catchy headlines. They'll use all this sort of appealing wording to try and keep people engaged in reading. So theirs are absolutely littered with 
ways to try and grab attention and then reinforce engagement with their sites. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you've ever heard of clickbait, yes, that's exactly what it is. Exactly. That is one of the easiest things. You get just enough to want more information, right? So you click it and then you access their sites and it's a whole thing. Now, Shane, would you say that the United States government uses behavior modification? Oh, oh yes. <laughs> oh yes. That's almost the only thing that the government does. <laughs> Think of this for a moment, and this is where you get into like my conspiracy theorist, cynical, like punk person that I am. When you really think about government and you think about the things they set up, one of the things they set up are laws, right? Yep. Governments help establish laws. Yes. Those are designed to change your behavior. Yes. They're designed to prevent certain behaviors. They're designed to promote certain behaviors. Exactly. And that is a big part of that behavior modification piece. Laws and rules establish a certain set of socially appropriate behaviors. There are almost no examples you could point to in the government and the policies of the government that are not positive or negative reinforcement. There are fees in place if you don't pay your taxes. So avoiding those fees is negative reinforcement. There are fees for getting smog check on your car or not getting it done or failure to have your registration renewed or failure to pay your property taxes. There is negative reinforcement built through and through in the entire government structure, as well as, as you said, those incentive programs, you get tax credits for buying a new house or for having child or for getting married or for buying, at least they used to be buying green energy. I don't know if that's still a thing anymore. And so there's all of these specific programs built into giving money back or taking money away, depending on what they're trying to get you to do. So the government is a enormous system of behavior modification, albeit somewhat sloppily thrown together. I think that a lot of the stuff they set up is more punitive or tries to be, right? Yes. They don't do a lot of really cool incentives for the citizens that are doing well. No, no, they don't. <laughs> Matter of fact, they often get punished yeah, yeah, yeah. for trying to do the right thing. Anyway, but that's another aside. That's going to be on our new podcast where we talk about government conspiracies and all the problems with it. <laughs> <laughs> Why they make you do what they make you do. <laughs> <laughs> Why they govern what they govern. <laughs> there you go. What about Starbucks, though? Oh, man. Do you use the Starbucks reward program at all? Oh, yeah. It works perfectly. I was never a subscription guy. And then I worked at Starbucks and I was even like, they had this gold member bull crap and I'm not going to subscribe to it. And then I was like, nah, it's actually pretty good. It works really well. Yep. As soon as that system launched, I went from using Starbucks. I mean, it was regular, but it was a few times a month to pretty much every day. Yeah. And yeah, very clever because if you go, then you accrue these points. The points can be redeemed for any drink at the time. It's it's changed a lot since it was first created, but it was quite a bit of bang for your buck. And there were actually people who did these competitions to see the most expensive drink that they could buy and get it for free by using their points that they'd earned. And there was people getting like $50 drinks by adding every kind of sweetener, the largest size they could get, a billion shots of espresso in it, whatever they were doing, and make them these ludicrously expensive drinks and then get them for free just because they could. And like that's exactly the kind of thing that was created, but it was also created through loyal, frequent use of their services and products. Yeah. And so they were kind of like, even if we give away occasionally these really expensive drinks, we have increased our attendance by so much that it's totally worth it to do that. And the the other part of it too is they were already leveraging regular users 
it was just a way to maintain people coming back. You were already getting the positive reinforcer. You're already getting the coffee. Yeah. Really, in that circumstance, if you're avoiding a headache, then it's also a negative reinforcer. But you've got the situation where people are already using the product. Yeah. Now you're just rewarding people from using the product. You're enticing new people to come use the product. And now you've changed a whole set of behaviors around a group of people that are using, that they're actually accessing this particular product. And we'll talk a bit about this more. And you've already brought this up once before. But what that also allowed them to do was proliferate to the point that they became... I mean, just unavoidable. There were there's a Starbucks everywhere. There are places when you have a Starbucks on every corner of an intersection. There was that joke, I think, in Shrek 2, where like the monster comes and crushes one Starbucks, and as it's being crushed, all the people run from the Starbucks across the street into the other Starbucks. Yeah. yeah. There was a well-placed joke because that's exactly sort of a, the reference that was going on is how common they are. So that people who wanted coffee all you gotta do is look for a Starbucks and you don't need to look very far Yeah, and you'll have one. So they really were able to capitalize on that. So then they not only, as you said, leveraged their existing users, but probably created a lot more by becoming unavoidably common. Yeah, absolutely. So do you have a favorite bagel place or a sandwich place that offers those punch cards where you buy a certain amount and then you get a free one? I am not proud of the fact, but I'm also not ashamed of the fact that I am kind of a subway junkie. I love Subway and I go there very frequently. <laughs> I mean, it's so cheap for how good of the food you get and how much you get. So cheap. Yeah. So I frequently use their program to get like a free sandwich for however many you spend. Yeah. And that's another one too. It's like, <laughs> I love this and we should probably one day talk about sales and deals. Right. When people think they're getting a deal. Oh, that's a good one. You're not really getting a deal. Like you're still buying 10 sandwiches. Right. Like, <laughs> like you're not saving money, really. We'll call that episode the Costco effect. Yes. Yes. But yeah, I mean, I've got a local place that I go to that I'm like, oh, cool. I get a free bagel when I go. Like, you know, I go enough and I eat enough bagels that it's not a problem. Right. And I'm just thinking about like someone buying that hundred pound bag of flour. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you're not really saving money. I mean, kind of, but not really. Yeah. Ounce for ounce. You're paying less for the amount of flour you're getting, but you're going to use so little of that flour before it's bad right? <laughs> or destroyed or something that ultimately you end up paying a lot for the little bit of flour that you did use. Anyway. Can we call that episode the art of the deal? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I don't know. I have to think on that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's tough. That, that's a little weighty. Let's go ahead. We'll go through these next few a little bit faster and see if we can come up with any. Uh, another very common example, and this is right in hand in hand with the government, but is the police. They're using primarily punitive sort of positive negative reinforcement stuff, but mostly punishment type things here. And a little bit of negative reinforcement. If you've heard the thing where if you see a cop and you're driving too fast, if you slow down, then they won't pull you over. They lean on that. They know that people do that. They use that to their advantage. So that's a strategy that they have. It's all about negative reinforcement. Yep. What about the church? The church itself. I mean, you talk about all these pretty lofty rules that actually nobody really ever comes into contact with, not to disparage anybody who goes to church. But if you think about it, you don't really come into contact with those larger contingencies that they set up, right? But you still engage in a whole lot of behaviors like going to church and going to sermons and mass and all that and engaging in all the rituals around it. But it's all as a result of avoiding a bigger punisher later. As you mentioned, there are a ton of rewards and punishment built into the attendance and interaction with that system. So showing up to church on days when church is scheduled and participating in church activities and all of that are things where there are 
if you aren't there, then there is an aversive consequence to that. There is something unpleasant. And if you are there, then you get that social acknowledgement and reward. So that's all built into that system. And it leans on that very, very heavily to get people to behave in particular ways. I mean, they use, I think, behavior modification just as much as the government. If oh, not, for sure. If not if even not more. more. Yeah. If you did a deep dive on like the history of theology in the world, you'll see a lot of behavior modification stuff prior to the label of it. Right. Animal trainers, obviously, they're using behavior modification. That's uh, Some of them will even call it that, but some of them will call it positive behavior training. Whatever it is they're doing, they're using positive and negative reinforcement to shape those animals' behaviors. Yeah. Traffic lights and road signs, those all kind of change your behavior as they come up, right? When you see a red light, you stop. When you see a stop sign, you stop if you are a safe driver. Yep. If you are not a safe driver and you run through a stoplight or a stop sign, you run the risk of getting into an injury. So stopping at those lights when they do come up, is a negative reinforcer. They started adding those road signs that flash your speed at you underneath the posted speed limit so you can see how you are. And like that is an outcome that is likely to either reward or punish whatever your driving behavior is and try and get you to drive it a particular way. Yeah. Utility companies. Yep. If you're late on your bill, they're going to come after you. They might even just turn it off. We don't want to go without power. Not in Florida. We'll die of heat. (laughs) That's true. If you think about taxis, Uber, Lyft, these like ride sharing and sort of gig economy type companies, they're trying to get your business, especially Lyft and Uber will use their reward programs where they'll offer, if you use it within this amount of time, you'll get a discount on your ride. And oh, if you buy this line ride where you join with other people, then you'll get a discount on your ride. And, you know, whatever it is, they're trying to just get you to use their product more and try and incentivize use of it, expanding into new markets, like delivering food for you, that sort of thing. Right. examples of that yeah the post office i think my favorite thing about the post office is that they have found a way to incentivize stamps yes stamp collecting think about this you don't stamp collect anywhere else but the post office that creates these collector stamps that you have to go into the post office and use their services to collect and they serve literally no function whatsoever like at all yeah or i mean even just thinking about like when you have to mail a letter there's a whole set of behaviors that go into mailing a letter you have to go to the mailbox you have to put the flag up we have no utility of that skill anywhere else except for in relation to the post office. And there is some reinforcement built into when you get something delivered. And so you have a certain schedule at which you are going to go out and check to see that something was delivered. And all of that is behavior modification. Yep, absolutely. Your manager, whoever is your supervisor or manager or boss, they are most certainly going to try and increase or decrease the certain frequencies of your behaviors, mostly probably trying to increase. It's probably not hard to get employees to decrease what they're doing, but they're going to try and get you to work more, to show up on time, to participate in a way that is fruitful and productive and makes them look good and that sort of thing. So they're using behavior modification. Yeah. Doctors too, right? The whole reason you go to a doctor is to get checked up and make sure everything is cool. But if they make a recommendation, they're going to encourage you. They're going to set up some rules. They're going to establish some contingencies with you so that you follow up on their recommendations. If you don't want diabetes, then you need to change your diet. And speaking of relief, you're going to go to the doctor when you don't feel good and they're going to hopefully make you feel better. And then you get that negative reinforcement again. Yeah, absolutely. Teachers are an example. They are frequently trying to change and alter your behavior. Mostly they're trying to get people to do more new things because they're trying to get you to learn. And that's what learning is, is doing new things and applying those things in new ways. So they're using a lot of behavior modification. They got grades, could be both a reward as well as a punishment. They've got office referrals. They've got student of the month acknowledgement, things like that. There's all kinds of systems they have in place for trying to alter behavior of their students yeah you can also account for parents grandparents siblings significant others
others, everybody does it. I always think of that phrase. This is one of my favorite phrases that I always go back to is, uh, I'm going to turn this car around. <laughs> That's right. Think about it as a parent. I'm going to turn this car around. First of all, most parents do not turn the car around because they don't want to ruin their vacation. But second of all, when they do that, it's an attempt to change the behavior of one of the children that's asking over and over and over again, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Or they're fighting in the car, right? Yep. Great example. I mean, you look at your parents, grandparents, siblings, significant others, people in your family, and you are going to be trying to change one another's behavior, either increase or decrease when you hit your sister because she took your thing, or if you yell at your brother because he Took your thing. Yeah, took your thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's a common example. When the grandparents are like, you know, go to the dishes or else. Or your parents are like, hey, if you want to earn this allowance, you need to go mow the lawn, whatever it's going to be. Like, those are all things that they're using as systems, and then they'll follow through on those, whatever the outcome is going to be. And that will increase or decrease the likelihood of your behavior, all using behavior modification. Same thing with your pets. Think about that for a second. You teach your dogs to sit. You teach your dog to go outside and use the restroom outside. This is one of my favorite things because when people talk about teaching their dogs tricks, teaching their animals tricks, you're not teaching them tricks. You're teaching them behaviors. Mm -hmm. You're teaching them to engage in a specific behavior for a specific reward, which is whatever treat you deliver, which is whatever praise you deliver, pets, whatever it might be. It could be walks. It could be any of those things. But you are trying to change their behavior using some kind of reward system. And the pet is going to change your behavior. Your own pets are using behavior modification on you and they don't even know it because they are going to reward your behavior when you do something that they like and they're going to avoid you or even potentially attack you when you do something that they do not like. And so you are going to learn how to respond to them in a way that you're either going to do more of something or less of something or do it in a slightly different way to either get access to the things you do want from your pet or to avoid the things you don't want from your pet. And so they are also shaping your behavior as well. Yep, absolutely. This also begs the question, do you use it on yourself? This might be the most important question. Yeah, because I think I can think of a couple examples of my own strategies that I've changed my own behavior as a result of implementing some contingencies. Yeah. Well, and people will do things like trying to remind themselves to get to an appointment on time when they'll go out and they take care of their yard. If you live in a homeowners association... I'm sorry. And if you do, you might try and avoid the fees of the homeowners association by making sure that you stay in line with their rigid demands and keep your grass the right length and your house the right color and the shrubs the right amount of shrubs in your <laughs> yard and the kids the right skin color and right weight and all of that are things you might do to avoid fees from the homeowners association. And there's a joke in there uh, embedded in my disdain for them, but there's a things that you're going to do for yourself, for your own behavior that are things that you simply are trying to change about who you are. And I use the homeowner association. That's actually a different example of people who are trying to use behavior modification on you by imposing those fees. But you might specifically do things like trying to brush your teeth more, trying to lose weight, trying to be healthy, trying to exercise more, trying to read more or trying to show up to work on time or stuff like that. And those are all things you might put some kind of rule for yourself that you're going to try and follow. Yeah, absolutely. As you can see, behavior modification exists just about everywhere with every interaction that you have with every organization that you come into contact with. So it's not just Facebook tricking you into buying jeans. <laughs> like that's not, they sell jeans. <laughs> Sometimes you'll see like random ads. What'll happen oh, okay. now is now that I said jeans, my phone will have heard that. And now I'll see an ad on Facebook that'll say like these jeans somewhere. <laughs> it's very strange. That's alarming. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Now, Shane, would you consider it behavior modification for using 
Things like anticipatory strategies, such as prompting you to do something, reminding you to do something, warnings, arranging something in a particular way so people follow a rule or using labels. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're talking about changing the trajectory of a particular response. That's a great point. Yeah. If you are influencing the way that a behavior would go before it's had an opportunity to get that reward or avoid that punishment or whatever, then that is still a form of behavior modification. And I mean, this covers the rest of the universe in terms of what we're talking about here. The way that streets are designed are set up to guide your behavior in a particular way. The labels that are on things, as we mentioned before, the street signs are designed to influence your behavior in a particular way. Some kind of warning. And again, this even thinking about those things like animals, all of these are examples of strategies to change your behavior to go in a particular direction. That is the point, really. Pretty much everyone and everything uses strategies to change behavior, including you on yourself, and that attempting to change behavior is not in and of itself a cause for alarm. It is okay. That is the purpose of marketing. That is the purpose of setting up safety strategies in your community. That is the purpose of having social norms. That's all designed to change your behavior and influence behavior in a particular way. Exactly. The concern here is not how behavior is being changed. It's not necessarily the strategies. And there are inappropriate strategies. But there's no black and white good or bad answers or good or bad players here necessarily. What's good for some is not good for all. And what's bad for some is not bad for all. The only way to really wrestle with this topic is to look at, in a way, kind of our values as a society and decide, probably, unfortunately, on a case-by-case basis, whether those values have been threatened or even violated by the actions of some person or entity. Said in another way, it's not a problem that Facebook tried to get you to use their site a lot. But it might be a problem that people can pay Facebook to push content toward you to make you believe something that's false or to over-exaggerate the importance of something that's really just not that important. It's not a problem that Amazon uses strategies to get you to buy all of your stuff from Amazon. But it might be a problem that they killed off tons of other businesses and created this cutthroat employment environment that's bad for workers. And finally, it's not a problem that there are these other giant companies who want to target ads and increase your engagement with their products or services services so that they can sell more and make more money. It's a problem that they might violate your privacy, as you were just mentioning, by listening through your phone and whatnot and and watching your email in order to accomplish these goals and make it nearly impossible to take any other alternative route to get access to the things that you need. And that's exactly it. People have a problem with the outcomes, not the process. Yes. And that's really what it comes down to is like the process of behavior change and behavior modification in and of itself is not the problem. The problem is the outcome related to it in relation to your values. If you do not want to shop somewhere, then don't shop somewhere. Be mindful of those contingencies that are pushing you towards that, though. That's the important thing with this is understanding what you're getting out of it, what you're not getting out of it, and and kind of how they're using those strategies or those things that are happening before to influence your behavior. Yeah, those anticipatory strategies, Yeah, those prompts and whatnot. Yeah, again, it's not bad that these groups of people, these companies, these organizations, these what have you, that they were eventually going to land on something that works to move their product better than their competitors. Of course they were going to do that. Of course they were. There were there's nothing else that they could do. Right now, people are upset because they were successful and they have in many cases, restricted the number of options that you have, and they want to blame something, right? Mm -hmm. And the strategies, however, are not to blame. Why would they do anything else? 
think about the fact that these organizations, they're made up of people who are also having their behavior modified to make the choices that they make to influence engagement with their products or services. Why should we expect anything else from them? Those are the things that also drive their behavior. And so, as you said, the issue comes down to the outcomes of those actions and the implications of them at a larger scale. And the strategies themselves are not necessarily a problem. Yeah, I mean, if you really look at it, some people use these same strategies to improve people's lives, as in some of the examples that we mentioned before, right? There are grassroots movements to get people to reduce their purchasing of single-use plastic items, and that is typically using some kind of behavior modification, some kind of social pressure, some kind of alternative route to engage in a behavior, right? A group of people that teach kindness and charity uses behavior modification. They set an example, they model behaviors, they influence, they discuss what they're doing, right? A religious group that inspires their followers is using behavior modification. That preacher, that priest, that person that's delivering the sermon is using some kind of rule, some kind of language to shape up particular behaviors within their congregation. Even the fish in the ocean is modified modifying the behavior of the fisher who is trying to capture them by avoiding and moving around the way that they do such that the fisherman now has to change their behavior to try and catch that fish. We don't complain when the same strategies are used for good, and nor should we. The strategies themselves are not evil. They're not good or evil. They're just things. They're just the process by which that works. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's science. That's what it comes down to. It is science. Science in itself cannot be good or evil. <laughs> right. The problem is that people that take the science and they use it for things like reducing our freedoms, removing choices, causing us to engage in behaviors that are destructive, things that do harm. Like that's where the problem is. It's the people that muddy the science, that alter the purpose of the science, that really take away from what it's supposed to do. And the goal of science is always, always, always to provide some kind of benefit to humanity. It's the people that bastardize it. We can even think about the fact that we can use those behavior modification strategies that those people are using to stop those people from using the behavior modification strategies to exploit others and cause harm. So again, these strategies can be used for good. And that's great. And we're cool with that. We also want to think about the fact that the current systems that exist exist because there are incentives for those people to make choices about their products and services that are leading to those harmful outcomes. And so we just need to reverse engineer and change those strategies now so that we are incentivizing those companies to do better with what they've got. And punishment is a way to do it, but there are also other ways to incentivize companies to make those choices without having to rely on that because we already know what that looks like when they use it on us. Let's be mindful about how we want to try and turn around and use it on them. So we may as well use what works because it works. Absolutely. So I think that's a good place to wrap. Yeah, I feel pretty good about that. I mostly just wanted to tackle this, like this idea of like, well, people are using behavior modification and that's why they're bad. And my thought here is, well, okay, let's talk about what behavior modification is and why is that bad? And everyone uses it. You're using it right now. Whatever it is you're doing is being used on you and you're using it on yourself. The strategies aren't inherently evil. They're agnostic in terms of their good and badness, right? Yeah. So they are perfectly neutral. We can hopefully armed with this information, move forward to use them to do better. Absolutely. I was not expecting this one to get as soapboxy as it did. <laughs> yeah. So I apologize for that. But I mean, yeah, you make a good point. Like the science itself is neutral. It's how it's implemented is what becomes the problem. Cool. I think that actually kind of is my take home ultimately. Yeah, I think we're there. 
I think we have arrived. Cool. Well, thank you for listening. If you liked this episode or any other and would like to support us, then one simple way you can do that is by sharing this episode with someone that you know. Um, Also, please rate and review us. If you have some kind things to say, let us know. We'd love to hear your feedback. You can always reach out to us on the social media platforms in an email. And you can find us on pretty much every platform where you can find podcasts. So... I think that's all I've got. Are you good to go, Shane? Yeah, I'm good to go. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for recording with me. Thank you, everyone who is listening. This is Abraham. And this is Shane. We are out. See ya. You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by our amazing patrons. Thank you. If you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron by heading to patreon.com slash podcast. You can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts or share this episode with your friends. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at WWD Podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.podcast.com. There you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is researched and produced by Abraham, Ryan O, Shane, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brassier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.